This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, if you don't know by now, you should. (laughs) There's no way you shouldn't know this by now, but I am a huge Oklahoma City Thunder fan. So I'm born and raised in Oklahoma. I've lived in the uh, Edmond, Oklahoma City area since 2004. And so obviously when we got our first professional sports team here in this state, I had to be a huge fan and have been a huge fan since then. And so uh, you've got the ups and downs as a Thunder fan. You know, when they first came, they were like three and 20 something to start, start their first season. And people would, you know, leave the stadium chanting, uh, chanting for their favorite college team and things like that. And so you, you've ridden the ups and downs, you know, a young team goes to the NBA finals and loses. And then, you know, you've got the MVP seasons and you've got, you know, Kevin Durant leaving and you've got, you know, Paul George getting traded for it. Like it's just been a roller coaster being a Thunder fan, but it's been a whole lot of fun. But uh, before the 2015-2016 season, there was uh, a couple of interesting things that happened. So the Thunder fired their head coach, Scott Brooks. And so this was going to be basically the third coach in the history of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So the first one was P.J. Carlissimo, and then it was Scott Brooks. And then they were going to bring in another guy. So they brought in Landon Donovan, uh, who was kind of a first-year NBA coach. Of course, he coached uh, at the University of Florida, had a couple of national championships down there. But one of the things that kind of went under the radar was that the Thunder signed an associate head coach named Monty Williams. And so for NBA fans, you're going to know that name, obviously. But Monty Williams was was kind of a big hire. And, and again, like I said, it went under the radar, and I wasn't really sure how that, that went under the radar. So for those of you who don't know who Monty Williams is, this guy was a first-round draft pick by the New York Knicks, and he was out of Notre Dame. Um, and even at the time, Notre Dame, uh, when he was a freshman in Notre Dame, rather, he had a heart condition. And he had a doctor that basically told him, look, if you continue to play basketball, it could kill you. I mean, this this thing that's going on with your heart, it could absolutely kill you. But he ended up still playing and figuring out a way to make sure that that could happen. And obviously, he played well enough to get drafted in the first round. Um, and then after he got done with a short playing career, he went into coaching. So he was on the staff for the 2005 NBA Championship San Antonio Spurs team. And then right after that, he became an assistant coach with the Portland Trailblazers. But then in 2010, he really got his first big coaching break when he was signed a, to a three-year deal to be the head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. And so he ended up signing an extension just a couple of years later, and he ended up uh, he eventually eventually spent five seasons coaching the New Orleans Pelicans. And so um, it was just a really cool uh, thing for him. He, you know, he did the normal NBA coaching thing. He went from, he went to a couple of different teams and experienced some different things, but here he was the 2015, 2016 season. You know, he's got an MVP player and Kevin Durant and another super all-star in Russell Westbrook. And you've got a team that you're thinking could, you know, really vie for a championship in, in a free agency year for Kevin Durant. It was just a really, really important season. The, the first season for, for uh, Scott Brooks, not being there in a long time. And you've got this new coach land. Donovan, how's it all going to work out? And the thing is, is we could have never really known what was going to happen in the lives of Monty Williams and his film, 
family. Um, if you know the story, though, you kind of know where I'm going with this. So on February 10th of 2016, uh, Monty Williams' wife, Ingrid, uh, was struck in a car accident uh, when uh, her car was struck head-on by another vehicle that had crossed over into her lane. So she died in the hospital a day later. Uh, she was 44 years old, and three of Ingrid's five children were also injured in the car accident, uh, but none of them were injured severely. So the driver of the vehicle that killed Ingrid Williams was Susanna Donaldson. And so at the time, Susanna Donaldson was under the influence of methamphetamines um, whenever the accident happened. The police investigators said that she was traveling at 92 miles an hour whenever she lost control and crossed over. Uh, and she was going 92 in a 40 mile an hour zone. It was on Western uh, right here in Oklahoma City. So those of you from here, you know where that is. Uh, and Susanna died there at the scene. And so this was obviously a, a huge thing. It, it rocked the entire um, Thunder organization. It, it rocked our city. Uh, it certainly rocked the, the greater NBA family. And it's just a real tragedy. I mean, I think that's a word that's thrown around a little bit too much now. Tragedy. Oh, that was tragic. And a lot of times it's it's really, really not. But this was definitely tragic. And, you know, you started to see reports about, you know, how much Monty, you know, adored his wife and, you know, the five kids. And you're just wondering what they're going to do. And it was just kind of a crazy time. I can remember being there just thinking how horrible that was. And you're seeing players that you that you know and love that had uh, either played with or played for Monty at some point, and they're torn up. I mean, they're they're just super torn up for their buddy, for their mentor, for, for their coach, you know what I mean? But then uh, a few days later, after the accident, after his wife was killed, there was a memorial service, obviously, to celebrate the life of Ingrid Williams. And so... A lot of you have already seen this, uh, but if some of you are, are unfamiliar with the story up to this point, then this is going to really be a treat for you. Um, I'm going to play the audio of what Monty said at the memorial service. Uh, and again, if you've if you've heard this before, it, it's not going to matter because I guarantee you're going to want to listen to it again. But it's really one of the more powerful and one of the more moving things that I've ever seen for a lot of different reasons. And I'm, and I'm not going to spoil anything because I want y'all to experience it. Um, now, I have the audio for you here in this podcast, like I mentioned, but in the show notes, there's the uh, a YouTube link to the actual delivery, the actual video of him delivering these these thoughts and these comments. So if you'd rather watch it, uh, you can pause this if it's safe for you to do so and watch the video. But if not, you can just listen to it here. Uh, but before I, I start the audio for you guys, I really want you to think, like, Put yourself in Monty Williams' shoes, okay? I want you to think about the words that you would say. Or I guess the words that you would want to say if that were a situation that you were put in where you were delivering comments at your own wife's funeral. And just think about how you would comport yourself. Think about how you would walk into that room, how you would, how you would handle everything that was going on at that time. Okay, so uh, it's, uh, his comments are about seven minutes long or so. So I'm going to go ahead and play that for you now, and then we'll get back into some commentary thereafter. So here we go. Thankful for uh, all the, the, the people who showed up today. Uh, it's a pretty tough time, not just for me, but for all of you as well. And I'm, I'm mindful of that. Um, I'm thankful for my, my family uh, my children have been unbelievably um, resilient uh, this past week. 
um, all of my relatives who've flown and drove and uh, many friends. Uh, some people flew in for the day uh, just to spend a few hours with me and didn't even get that accomplished. Uh, but it's, it all uh, is well received by my family and especially me. The Bible says in Psalms uh, 133.1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And I think that's what we've done, uh, and that's what Ingrid would have wanted. Psalm 73.1 says God is good. And 1 John 4.16 says God is love. During times like this, it's easy to forget that because what we've gone through is pretty tough and it's hard and we want an answer. And we don't always get that answer when we want it. But we can't lose sight of the fact that God loves us. And that's what my wife and that's what I try to, um, however badly, <laughs> exhibit on a daily basis. But God does love us. He loved me so much that he sent his son to die for my sins. And I, for one, know that I'm not the man that you guys see every day. And only God could cover that. He loved me so much that he gave me a wife that loved every part of me. And she fit me perfectly. And I know different players that I've had over the years probably got tired of me talking about my wife. But I used to always think to myself, like, who else was I going to talk about? So <laughs> that never bothered me. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All of this will work out. As hard as this is for me and my family and for you, this will work out. I know this because I've seen this in my life. See, back in 1990, at the University of Notre Dame, I had a doctor look me in the face and say, you're going to die if you keep playing basketball. And I had testing done, test after test, shipping me all over the place to try to figure out a way for me to play. And it didn't work out. And I kept that from Ingrid. She knew I was having some tests done, but she didn't know the severity of the situation. So my career was over at the age of 18. And we had a press conference, and I left the press conference um, by myself, and I went to her dorm room, and I told her what happened. And the very next word out of her mouth, words out of her mouth after we um, probably cried a little bit, she said, honey, Jesus can heal your heart. And I'm evidence that God can work it out. I don't care what you're going through. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside of these walls, and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. 
doesn't mean we don't have tough times and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. Now, I'm going to close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. But I got five crumb snatchers I got to deal with. <laughs> I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. Um, Sam and Coach Donovan probably couldn't figure out why I always wanted to get out of the office, uh, me and Mo Cheeks. Um, Mo probably wanted to go do something else, but we always wanted to get out of the office. I just enjoy being with my wife. I enjoy being with my family. And most of the times we didn't do anything. We'd just be at the house sitting around um, doing nothing. I'm going to miss that. Let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Let's not lose sight of that family that also lost someone that they love. I love you guys. I hope I get a chance to hug and shake a hand and give a kiss on the cheek. But let's keep what's important at the forefront. Thank you. All right, guys, we're back. I mean, how about that? I mean, for guys who have seen that before or heard that before, I mean, just to revisit it, it just it gave me chills. Again, I, I hadn't heard that in a really long time. It's probably been a couple of years. Uh, and, I mean, just incredible. And for the guys that hadn't heard that before, I mean, just think about that. Think about the circumstances, the things that he said, how he said them. I mean, it's just just incredible. So, I do want to kind of break down some of the things that he said. I do want to kind of go in and talk a little bit about those things. Um, and the thing that I found really, really great, and it kind of set the tone really for the entire the entire thing that he, he talked about the entire time, is he started with Scripture. And I know for a lot of guys, especially I, I, every time, I mean, think about how many times I've asked you guys and begged you guys, can y'all please, please start reading, read anything, read the Bible, read a magazine, read something. Uh, and so this is kind of one of those things that this is a guy that's obviously gone to the Bible before in times of stress, and he certainly went there this time. So he brought out three scriptures. They were Psalm 133, verse 1, Psalm 73, verse 1, and 1 John 4, 16. So I'll read those out here to you because he just kind of said a little snippets of them. But Psalms 133, verse 1, 
Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So obviously that, that really did set the tone for all the people that were in the room and how they were talking with one another and the things that they were doing to help one another in that moment. And then he goes on into Psalms 33 or 73 rather verse 1, Psalm 73 verse 1. And he, he basically pulled out the part that God is good. And the totality of that, that verse is truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And so he's really kind of pulling out that theme that God is good, that he is good even now. And then he really drives it home with First John four sixteen when he says God is love. And that entire scripture is this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And, and so again, guys, he's talking about unity as a group. He's talking about how good God is. And he's talking about how God is love. And this is at a funeral. I mean, just think of the emotions that are in that room. I mean, I mean, think about all the different things that have to be going through people's heads, not just his, but his kids, the extended family, all the people that, that you know, they're really, really close with. I mean, just, just incredible to, to start it there. Because, you know, guaranteed there's also people in the crowd that are atheists, right? In, in any crowd of people that large, you're going to have some atheists or agnostics or people that, you know, just think quoting the Bible is, is ridiculous. But when you're talking about unity and how, you know, how God's, God's there and he's good and he's love and all those things, it's definitely a tone setter. And then he, the last scripture he mentions was Romans eight twenty eight, And so this, I felt like was the thematic scripture that he used really for the totality of the things that he was talking about. And so this was the exact quote as he presented it. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. All of this will work out. As hard as this is for me and my family and for you, this will work out. I remember the first time I heard that. Like, whether the first time I heard him say it, the first time I saw this video. And that's all I could remember. Like, there's so many things to remember, and, I, and I'm going to talk about even more of them here in just a second. But all of this will work out. This is in the first couple of minutes of his comments, you know, at his wife's funeral, the wife of his five children. All of this will work out. This will work out. I mean, just, just incredible that, that you have a guy that's experienced this, that has, has seen some of the worst parts of humanity and how it can directly affect him. And all he can come down to, if you had to break down this entire thing into, into really one sentence about how he thinks about God, it's this, this will work out. I mean, it's super encouraging. That had to just be amazingly encouraging to a room full of people that were in mourning. And I'm going to go into uh, another quote here that he had. So here we go back to a quote from his commentary. I don't care what you're going through. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain, but it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. You see, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that. And it's not true. But it is. All you've got to do is look around you. Get outside these walls and you know it's true. This will work out. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean we don't have tough times and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. 
I mean, again, guys, just super, super powerful stuff there. Again, driving home his main point about this will work out. This is hard, but this will work out. We're not going to complain because this will work out. God causes all things to work out. But he kind of throws one thing in there where he's talking about, you know, how America teaches us to just numb that, right? So he was basically making reference to how Satan is prowling all the time. Yes, he is our enemy. He's the father of lies, and he's coming basically to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's not just coming to steal, kill, and destroy just random things. He's coming to do those things to us directly. But we do live in a country right now. We're kind of in this postmodern world, and we're in this post-Christendom world, which we've talked about a lot here on this podcast, where we, we're just going to ignore that. I mean, if we're going to ignore the Bible wholesale, we're certainly not going to talk about angels and demons, right? We're not going to talk about God and Satan. That's not really going to work out. And so that's the thing that I think is important that he talks about here is in America now, it's just teaching us to numb the idea that Satan is out here trying to destroy us. And look, Satan's all over the situation, guys. Satan was in that woman's life who was abusing drugs and then decided to get into a car. Satan was all over that. Satan was all over the, the things that were happening with the first responders that had to see that and experience that with the people that heard the story inside the family, the Williams family. Satan's at work looking for that opening, that small opening to work its way in. And the thing about it is, is the greatest lie the devil ever told is that he doesn't exist. But he does exist and he's powerful. And he's got a lot of things that he can do to you and things that, that he can... <laughs> that he can do to really change the trajectory of your entire life. And I like how he puts that in there. But he, he doesn't sit there and dwell on it. He just basically comes right for it and is like, look, guys, th this is the way that it is. And, and Satan's real and Satan's here right now. But we're not going to let him will. And we're not going to let him win. Like, we are going to have tough times. But God's still here. God is still good and God is still love. I, I thought that was great that he, that he kind of just slid that in there. And it was really important that he did that. But one of the, the craziest parts of this entire thing, and certainly as you're, as you're listening to this, it's like, it, it's kind of a twist, right? right? Right there in the middle, or actually more towards the end, he says he's going to close. But he implored everybody. Everybody's certainly in the room, but the, the guy knew that this was being videotaped and it was probably going to be shown to, to people around, around the country and maybe even around the world. But he implored everyone to pray for the perpetrator of the hit and run. I mean, it was shocking. I rem like, go back to the first time you heard that, if it wasn't today, and just think about that. Two people died that day. There are two families in mourning. Here he is sitting in a room full of people, and, and if you want to judge things, right, you, in this situation, you had a righteous person and you had an unrighteous person. But you've got a good person and a bad person in terms of how we normally constitute good and bad and how we categorize it. But he... He made sure, and he, and he mentioned it again at the end, he made sure that everybody was thinking about the other person that had passed away and praying for that, that person's family. Because even if they were definably on, on two opposite sides, Ingrid being good and Susanna being bad, even if they were like that, can we assume that everyone in, in the perpetrator's family is bad as well? I don't think you can do that. And there are people that are in pain. And, you know, if this person was a meth addict or something like that, the family may have been in pain for a really, really long time. They just didn't think they would lose their daughter or their, or their aunt or, the, or their sister to a car accident. 
They figured it was going to be something else that had to do with the drug. And they probably couldn't have imagined that, you know, she was going to take another life in the process. But just how powerful is that? How amazing of Monty to point that out in that moment. When he could have made some, you know, very, very, very demonstrable negative comments about this woman and about methamphetamines and about all the different things that are going on in the community with that. And, you know, he could have just crushed this woman and her entire family and everyone would have been like, yeah, you know, it's a grieving, a grieving widow, uh, widower. And, you know, it's just, uh, man, it's tough, but yeah, I can understand why he would say that. And he's like, no, I am a grieving, grieving widower, but no, I'm not going to do that to that family. He gave that family honor. Just incredible. But really the, the main quote really to, to me, the best quote of the entire speech. And, and again, you'll see it as, uh, the, the you know, title of this podcast episode, but I'll go into the quote here. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I mean, just outstanding. I mean, even listening to it again as I was preparing for this podcast, I listened to it a few times over. Even recording, you know, I, I went ahead and listened to it again before I got into the second part of the commentary. I know exactly where my wife is. That is a man who has a tremendous amount of faith and knowledge and, and knows, he can feel it in his soul that she's in heaven and he's going to see her again one day. And, and again, I know there's guys out there that, you know, that are debating left and right about whether we will see each other in heaven. And I've heard compelling arguments on both sides, but this is a guy that, that's pretty sure of it. And uh, I certainly would not want to be the guy that would uh, claim otherwise. But I mean, really ju- just a fantastic uh, way of doing things. It wasn't over long. Uh, you know, it wasn't super preachy, but it was very, very direct. You know, he didn't want anyone walking out of there that day without knowing that the gospel was real, that the good news of Jesus Christ and the work that was done on the cross was a real thing. But as as I kind of stepped away from listening to this, and I've had a couple of years even to digest it from whenever this first happened, there's a lot of takeaways that, that I've gotten from this short little speech. And the thing is, is guys, is I've gotten amazing amounts of information and good things from, you know, three plus hour long podcast episodes and, you know, 20 minute TED talks and, you know, hour long uh, presentations by a, by a teacher or a professor or, you know, a 30 minute sermon and all these different things. But the seven minute little snippet of this guy's brain while he was going through something as crazy as this, I feel like I've learned a whole, whole lot. And so I just wanted to distill that down to basically the five takeaways that I think would be most beneficial for all the men that are listening to this podcast. And the first one is this, is that I can't think of a more potent example of spiritual and mental resilience in the face of grief. I mean, guys, we talk about it all the time is, you know, a man is someone that cultivates spiritual, mental, and physical resilience daily. And just think to yourself, could this guy have done this? Could Monty have delivered the words that he delivered if he was not spiritually and mentally resilient? The answer is no. And guys, I've read war memoirs and these biographies of these guys that have overcome these crazy things and shown just an unbelievable amount of grit and resilience. But I've never seen something like this in the face of grief. This this was on another level. You know, we've seen emotional 
pleas at at different uh, funeral ceremonies, and we've seen the grieving widow, you know, standing in the rain whenever her husband's body's being taken off of an airplane after being killed over in Iraq or Afghanistan. Like we've seen those incredibly moving and emotional images, but just the resilience that this man showed at that moment was absolutely outstanding, absolutely incredible. The second takeaway that I wanted to talk about here is that Monty Williams sets a new standard for empathy. I mean, no ill will towards that family. I can understand saying that, but there's part of me that can't understand, like, thinking that even. Like, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I could sit there and and actually wish no ill will on something like that if a tragedy took something that important away from me. I'm just being honest. Maybe you guys, maybe you guys are better than I am, but when it comes to me, that would be a really, really hard thing for me to do. And so it really is a new standard for empathy. So when I think of someone being empathetic, and I mean in extreme scenarios, this has to be up there as one of the 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 keystone examples that you would be able to use. Guys, the third main takeaway that I want to talk about is this is what true leadership is. I mean, you could go to Barnes and Noble or to Amazon right now, and you can just drown yourself in self-helpy leadership books and, oh, look at this leadership example and look at that type of thing. And I'm not knocking all of those things. There's certainly a lot of great things you can learn from leadership. You know, we, we talk about several leadership books uh, here on this podcast. We've suggested some on our website. Like, I get it. But this is leadership in action. All five of his kids are sitting in the front row, guys. And think about the things that he's talking about. He could have been pissed off. He could have been, you know, railing on the world and on everything. And I don't even know if God exists anymore and blah, 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 and all that. And he was, he was stoic. He was a rock. He was forceful in his language. He was not going to allow Satan to get a foothold in that room. He showed, as we've already talked about, tremendous, tremendous empathy, spiritual and mental resilience, grit to a degree that is so hard to even fathom. That's leadership, man. Like that is, it's just so incredible. Like if if that guy does nothing important for the rest of his life, this is literally his gift to humanity. The words that he spoke on this day, just incredible. The, The fourth takeaway I wanted to go over is guys, this is a gut check. And the gut check here is, could you do that? Could you have done what Monty Williams did during this speech? And here's the thing, guys, is I've had to look at look at myself here. And, you know, we always want to put ourselves in the scenario. So if we're reading a book or we're watching a movie or, you know, someone's given a st- story or something like that, you kind of put yourself in that situation. And you're like, what would I have done if the flood rise- floods were rising? Or what would I have done if, you know, my car was stuck in that mud and I need to get out? What would I have done if the bullets were flying? We always put ourselves there. And I definitely do that. Like, I use my imagination a lot. And sometimes it gets me in trouble. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that someday. But the thing about it is, is I'm always going through different scenarios in my head. I'm the weirdo that the reason why it's hard for me to sleep sometimes or to fall asleep is because the moment my head hits the pillow, I start running scenarios in my head. Like, okay, if someone breaks in through through this door or this window, uh, I'll grab this gun or I'll, I'll go to this side of the house or I'll blah, blah, blah. I'll do that. Like, I'm always thinking through that. And, and I can't just rest and let my, my brain turn off. It takes forever that, for that to happen. And I just dream up all these crazy scenarios. But I got to be honest, and this may seem a little bit morbid, but I'm sure some of y'all can kind of level with me here. I've thought a lot about what if my wife passed away. 
Like, like what if she got in a car accident or was murdered or, you know, just got sick and, and passed away. And in all those scenarios that I've drawn up in my, my crazy, ridiculous brain, I've never been happy and I've never been stoic and I've never been a rock in those scenarios. I am at the base level of instinct of how I would act just angry and, and bitter and shutting people out and stopping taking care of myself and not taking care of anybody else. And that, that's what comes to my brain. And it's because I know who I am. You know, there's people in the public that see me and, you know, they see all the positives and all the, all the optimism and the things that you do. But then you also know yourself and you know that when the chips are down, you know how you act and you know how you think. But could y'all have done what this guy did? I mean, it didn't cry, didn't crack. I mean, it's not as if like crying would have been the worst thing to do there or that, you know, it wouldn't have been totally acceptable. But the dude's voice didn't even crack. I mean, I'm sitting here and I got a frog in my throat right now just thinking about this. You know what I mean? Just thinking about the words that that guy said and applying it onto my life. This actually happened to him. This actually happened to his family. Like his wife of his five kids like was taken away from him, his college sweetheart. You know what I mean? Like that's crazy. Not Didn't even crack. Not even for a second. And I just got to be honest. If I'm ever in that kind of a situation, whether it's my wife or someone else that I love where, where I've been entrusted to get up there and say a few words, I would hope that I could be that strong. You know, uh, a year... Uh, a year ago or so, I lost my great grandmother and you know how that goes. She was in her nineties and and she had been sick for a while and you know, she had lived a long life and had a lot of love and a lot of experiences. And when she passed, my family, you know, asked me if I would deliver the eulogy. And to me, I'm like, geez, there's so many other people in the family that could have done that. But you know, uh, my, my grandparents and, and all the other people, they thought it would be good for me to do that. And I was, I was absolutely honored to do that. And I went up there and, and I did, I did that. Um, and as much as I love my grandmother, I can't imagine doing that with someone as close as my wife. Like, don't get me wrong, guys. I was really sad when my grandmother passed away. She was the matriarch of our family for a very, very long time. She was the rock that the rest of the family, you know, anchored themselves to, you know what I mean? But even as close as we were, there's, there's no one on this planet I am closer to than my wife. And it'll always be that way. And how would I handle that? And, and for you guys, I want you to kind of think about the same thing. And that's where I'm, I've spent a lot of time on this one thing. Is it's that gut check. What would you do? How would you act? Because you know how it is, guys. A lot of life is preparation. You know, whether you're in ministry or in sales or, uh, you know, whether you played a sport, a lot of it is that mental preparation. Like you're thinking about what's going to happen if that deal doesn't close and what you're going to need to do to save it. You're thinking about that, that person that is, you know, teetering between agnosticism and Christianity and, and what you can do to help open up the Holy Spirit even more to them. And you're thinking about that scenario where you're tired in, in the bottom of the ninth inning, but the ball's hitting the gap and you need to run it down and go catch it. Like you think through those scenarios so that when those things happen, that your brain already has a, you know, a shorter circuit to get to the solution. To, to make you act, to get you to go towards action. So I would encourage you guys to really think about how you would handle yourself in this situation. 
I challenge you to do that right before we listen to this and as even now as we're talking through it some more. But guys, the, the last takeaway I really wanted to go through here, and this is probably the most important thing that, that I, could, I could possibly give you after hearing such incredible words, and it's cherish your wives. I mean, to you individually, cherish your wife. Cherish your wife. I mean, guys, Proverbs 18.22, you've all heard it, and it's completely true. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. I mean, guys, I, I listen to guys complain about their wives all the time. So much so that I have to say, hey, is there? can you tell me two nice things in a row about your wife? Oh, she nags me and she does this and she blow. Can you say two things that you adore about her? Can you say five things in a row that you would miss about her if she wasn't here anymore? And guys, for me, it's it's situations like this where I've been married nine years. It'll be 10 years next May. And my wife, she is my best friend. Like I've got a lot of good friends, but she's my best friend. Like she is literally incredible. She is so incredible to put up with me and my craziness and, and my, my insanity over the years and the things I've done wrong to be there to help assist me as I'm trying to traverse through life, whether that's in business or in ministry or in personal growth, like she's just there. And that's the thing that I never have to wonder about. And I'm just like every single one of you, there are those times where I just don't cherish her the way that I should, that I don't think of her in the manner that she is, that I don't treat her in the way that Christ, you know, thought about the church and treated the church, right? You know, that's his bride. Well, I've been given one bride to which I can become one flesh with. And guys, again, I, I've done, you know, a lot of talking on this subject. And, and if any of y'all have talked with me individually, I obviously talk about this a lot. You have to fight for your marriages. You have to fight for the heart of your wife. You have to protect her in the spiritual realm from dark forces. Like you have to do all those things. I understand that your wife's not perfect. Would you look at yourself? I mean, I understand that she doesn't do all the things that you would prefer. I understand that, you know, the secretary at the office that you visit on sales calls is cute. And I understand that uh, you feel stronger and better whenever you flirt with that other chick at the restaurant. And I, and I understand all those things. And I understand that your wife's not nearly as hot as she was whenever you met her. And that, you know, her body's gone down, downhill since she gave you a couple of children and all these different things. All these stupid things that I've heard people say. You get one wife. And guys, I know I'm going to an area here that's going to be uncomfortable because some of you listen to this are divorced and that's not what this podcast is about. But for a lot of you guys, you know this, you get one wife. To you single guys, you young guys, and I know they're out here listening, so I appreciate you guys tuning in. You get one and that's how you should think about it. You have to cherish them because what if they're not there? What if they're not there? What if you don't have that rock anymore? What if you don't have that person to love in an extreme way that's more extreme than we can even experience on this earth other than the love of God, right? We have to cherish our wives, guys. And so uh, I know it's it's kind of a, a different tone for this podcast, but I just couldn't think of a, of a better scenario for all of us to think about our relationships with our wives and those that are most important to us. 
There, there's so many lessons to learn here. And, and guys, I would, if I were you, I would go back and listen to his words again. You can skip me talking at the beginning, skip me talking after, but go back to, to the early part of this podcast and listen to these words one more time or watch the video here at the end in the, in the show notes or whatever, but you got to listen to it. Share this around, talk about this with some other guys, but, but really use this as an opportunity to think through what you would have done in that scenario because you know, you might have to someday. So guys, uh, we're going to do a quick resilience boost before we get out of here. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today we're just going to keep the mental resilience stuff going. And so, uh, I put in the link here, like I told you guys for him, uh, the speech that he delivered. I also put a link in here to another YouTube video where Monty Williams was presented with the very first, uh, Sager strong award. And so, uh, Craig Sager was obviously, obviously the guy who, um, who passed away. He was a longtime TNT basketball commentator. He all, he had the crazy jackets and ties and all those types of things. Well, when he died of cancer, they uh, created this new Sager strong award and Monty Williams won the very first one ever presented. So it's his acceptance speech of that award. And then also there was a really, really well done sports illustrated article called you can't give in Monty Williams on life after tragedy. And so that's a, a pretty good, some lengthy article that will kind of give you a little bit more understanding of where Monty Williams was because this just goes a little bit deeper deeper that kind of gives you some more insight into how this guy has gone through grief and the stages that he's gone through to help protect his family and to keep his five kids going so it's absolutely fantastic stuff All right, guys, thank you as always for listening in this far into the podcast. We really, really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and make sure you share this on social media. If you use the hashtag Undaunted Life, we will do our best to find the post and give it a like. If we deserve a five-star review, guys, please, please do that because when we get reviewed and when you leave a few sentences to let us know why you like us, that's going to continue to get this podcast out to more people. So please do that if you would. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for 2018 and the beginning of 2019. So if you want me to come speak to your company, to your church gathering, to your Sunday school, to your event, please hit me up at info at undaunted.life. Again, that's info at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. You can check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search the phrase Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.